We've been in this Gospels series, and this will be our last message of the series in the book of Mark, and then next week we'll begin in the book of Luke. And the reading that we have each week, Monday through Saturday, is a chapter a day. Our reading this past week was Mark 9 through 14. And I'm actually going to be pulling in about three passages that are from our reading this past week in Mark 9 and Mark 10, and then a little bonus passage for us in Mark 12. But as we get rolling, I mentioned a moment ago that today is Reformation Sunday, and 504 years ago, anybody remember 504 years ago, in 1517, there was a German man by the name of Martin Luther who was in law school, and then he got struck by lightning. And as he had been struck by lightning, he calls out to St. Anne and says, if you spare me, I will become a monk. And so he leaves law school to become a monk. And while he's in this monastery in 1505, they send Martin Luther on a mission to Rome. And while he's there and overseeing some things and looking at things and learning about things, he sees the corruption that's taking place with the religious leaders. These religious leaders, these priests that are in Rome, they're taking advantage of people and they're living ungodly lives and they're shortening their sermons, trying to get them done as quick as they can and off we go and they're being promiscuous with women and all of this stuff is going on and Martin Luther takes issue to this and he comes back with this information and Martin Luther was a very humble man, and he was obsessed with his own sin, realizing that he was not all put together and that he was broken. He would confess his sin, and he ends up getting sent to the University of Wittenberg. And in the midst of his study at this university, he lands on a truth that I believe changes everything. And for him, this truth is that the just, those who are right with God, shall be made just by their faith in Jesus Christ. And it's faith alone, sola fide. And if you know the scriptures in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, it talks about how you and I were saved by grace through faith. And it's not by works. And this church hierarchy had set up all of these works and we try to earn our way into heaven. We try to earn salvation and Martin Luther begins proclaiming that it's not by works, it's by faith alone. And as he begins to discover this and begins to talk about this and bring this forward, in 1517 the Catholic Church begins something called indulgences. And not only do you try to earn your way into heaven by doing good works, but if somehow you die and you get caught in between and you're not quite into heaven, you're in this place called purgatory, your family who's still living can pay the church to try to get you into heaven faster. Martin Luther took issue to this. Many people took issue to this. And the payment for this would be about a half a year's wages. 
So you can imagine around the, the average household income in America, maybe around $50,000. So imagine paying $25,000 after a funeral so that maybe your loved one could enter into heaven. And the religious leaders were trying to make some money for some buildings and the projects and all that stuff they were working on. And so these indulgences sort of paved the way because they had money coming in. And it was that issue with indulgences that led to Martin Luther nailing what's known as the 95 Thesis to what is believed to be the door of the chapel of Wittenberg. And it's like Martin wanted reform within the Catholic Church. He wanted to see that reform taking place, and little did he know the kind of movement that was about to take place. And he was beginning to be accused of heresy, and a man a hundred years prior to him by the name of John Hughes was burned at the stake for his heresy. And so imagine the guts that it took to stand up for truth by nailing these things to the door of the chapel of Wittenberg. Well, around that time, a few years later, in 1520, there was the introduction of the Gutenberg Press. And Martin Luther had tracts, and what he was trying to tell people get printed in these tracts and handed out to all kinds of people. And so now word begins to spread as far as this faith alone doctrine. Not only that, but Martin also translates the Bible into the German language. And at that time, if you wanted to hear from the Scriptures, you only heard it through the priest. And because Martin has now translated this into German, the Gutenberg Press mass-produces the Scriptures and it gets into the hands of the common, everyday people. God's word goes forth with great power, and the word says it does not return void. And now people are hearing from God, not necessarily through the priest. Well, you can imagine the religious leaders and the issues they have with everything that's been going on. And in 1521, Luther was excommunicated from the Catholic Church. He's now an outsider, which also was a sentence to hell, in their view. And a few months later, at what's called the Diet of Worms, Martin's brought before the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, and not only was he excommunicated from the Catholic Church, he now becomes an outlaw in regards to the political structure of that day. And there's German princes that step in and they try to help protect Luther. And this is now a political movement. And this Reformation is something that brings the Word of God, I think, for you and I today. This is a huge piece of our history. And the Protestant Reformation, if you think of two words, it can be broken down into the words protest and reform. And today's Reformation Sunday. And you just think of the corruption that Martin Luther was up against. And now we're going to enter into the passages that we read this week. And the corruption that Jesus 
was up against. And the hypocrisy that Jesus was up against. And these religious leaders who were lording it over the people and Jesus steps on the scene and begins to challenge that authority. And so we'll look at that today. Before we read from the scriptures, let's pray together asking for God's grace and guidance as we read. Father, I thank you for this time together. I thank you for those who have faithfully gone before us, listening to your voice, standing firm on the scriptures so that we can learn more about you here this day. And I ask for your grace upon this time as we get into the scriptures that you would speak to each of our hearts, to each of our lives. We lift this to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 33. We're going to read through verse 37. This little section right here, Jesus addresses what it looks like for somebody to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. It says, after they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples. He says, what were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. How about that conversation? Hey, man, I think I'm greater than you. I mean, how do you work your way into that? Well, they were arguing, and he sat down, and he called the 12 disciples over to him, and he said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Then he put a little child among them, and taking the child in his arms, he said, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my father, Who sent me? With these three passages, there'll be simply three takeaways today. And the first one is to understand a posture that God desires for the life of a believer. And with this first passage, the very first posture that God desires from us is a posture of humility. Humility, recognizing our need for God and coming to Him just like a little child would come to him in faith. There's a humility in that. And stepping away from our pride and thinking we can do things in our own strength and by our own good deeds and all of that stuff and coming to a point where we say, I need Jesus Christ in my life. A posture of humility. I titled this message, Jesus Wants You Last. And I hope that maybe that caused you to raise your eyebrows a little bit, like, what? Like, but the point is, he wants you to be at a place where you have that posture of humility, where you're putting others before yourself, but the first step is recognizing, I need God in my life. That's the first step in regards to humility. Go with me now to Mark 10. It's like the disciples don't quite get it. 
they're having this conversation, I'm greater than you, no, no, I'm greater than you, and, and then they get to a point here where Jesus addresses them, and now again, verse 35 in Mark 10, it says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What's your request? Jesus asked. And then they replied, When you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one at your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, You don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? And are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. And then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Well, then the ten other disciples, they hear what James and John had asked, and they were indignant. It's like, are you trying to get a leg up here, guys? Going to this private conversation, you know, can we sit next to you in the kingdom? And then our fellow disciples will have to just gaze at all of us as they gaze upon Jesus. Well, Jesus has to call them together again, and he says, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Now, before we go on, you could look at this and say, Jesus is addressing the religious leaders, right? But I also think he's addressing the heart of John and James. They wanted that position. And to a certain degree, the reason why these disciples are disgruntled is that they would want that too, and they would lord it over each other. So Jesus gives them what it looks like to be somebody that's great in his kingdom. He says, among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. My second point. The first one was posture and a posture of humility. This is what it looks like to be great in the kingdom. The second aspect of this is your position. I don't know what your role might be in the kingdom of God, but your position needs to be that of a servant. No matter what you do for a living, our position is a servant. And Jesus gives us that picture and says, you know, there's all kinds of people who want to be leaders who want to be influential and they want to lord it over people just like those Pharisees and just like you guys. But those who are in my kingdom will serve each other. In our memory verse from this week, whoever wants to become great among you 
must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if I'm going to be a follower of Christ, there's the example. He set the example. He's not asking his followers to do something that he's not already shown or demonstrated. Our position is a servant. Now go with me to the bonus passage here in Mark chapter 12. This would have been Thursday's reading. We're going to go to verse 38. It says, Jesus also taught, Beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long public or excuse me long prayers in public and because of this they will be more severely punished well jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money and many rich people put in large amounts and then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Now that particular story, we may know it as the widow's might. It's she's giving out of the poverty that she's in. And these rich men are just giving out of their abundance. And which is a greater sacrifice. And, you know, I could preach a whole message on that. But I want us to focus on the scene here. And Jesus, right before this, talks about how these Pharisees, these religious leaders, they're parading around and they're flowing robes and, and they love to receive those greetings from people and, and they walk through the marketplaces and they sit in places of honor at head tables and then in the midst of all their pomp and circumstance, they take advantage of people who are in lowly places. And then right after that, you see how this widow gives of what little she has, and yet the people who are on the other side of that gift are taking advantage of the very people in which she would identify with. You can see the hypocrisy. You can see some of the very same things that Martin Luther was up against. Well, Jesus addressed that long before Martin addressed that. And one of the things I see in this We said the posture, the position, and the next thing is power. And there's a difference on how power is yielded. 
and whether you're a part of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of this world. How do we yield that power that Christ brings in to our life? These religious leaders, they abused their power. And the example that Jesus gives, he says, I want meekness. I want people who, who will yield this power through servant hands and servant hearts with humility. We see him calling that out. And with that memory verse, guys, Jesus demonstrates this very thing through what he came to this earth to do. And just as Martin Luther took that nail and that 95 thesis and he begins to pound it on to that door, it sets people free who are in the bondage of this church that has all kinds of rules and regulations and they limit people's access to God, really. And here Jesus comes. And years and years prior to, to Martin Luther doing something that bold, Jesus in his power took nails to his hands to be hung on a cross in which he would be tortured and he would essentially suffocate to death because of the way he was hanging. And Jesus demonstrates his love for us and that he, he pays it all. His life is given. And that memory verse says that the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. And Jesus Christ paid the penalty and the price for sin so that you and I were no longer in bondage. And so, as we reflect on that, and the gift that we've been given to enter into the kingdom of God, I just have a reflection question for all of us. When I'm saved and I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and I'm a part of the kingdom of God because of the gracious gift that, that he gave, why is it so hard for me to be humble and to be a servant? Am I the only one that struggles with that? Now, some of you are smiling at me because you're like, no, I struggle with that too. And I think this message is a good reminder for us to say, Lord, there's places probably in my life where I've, I've tried to sit on the throne of that and I need to step down from that and, and put you in your proper place. What does it mean to be a servant in the kingdom of God Am I operating in humility? Am I operating as a servant? Am I using the power that God has given me in an, in an effective manner, not lording it over others, but serving others so that they might be set free? So what does this look like for all of us? You know, we may not have a like job that requires us to be a leader, but I think we all have aspects of our life where wouldn't it go better if we were serving in this role? So whether you're a parent, what does it look like to serve in humility?
for your kids or, or for husbands and wives? What does it look like to serve with humility to my spouse? You know, to my coworkers? You know, start broadening that out. And, and a challenge for all of us is what does it look like to be a servant in the kingdom of God? And I think of the song that we're going to have here as a response in a moment, but it says that Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. And if Christ has set us free, it's like, why is it so hard to live as a servant in his kingdom? And I think that's a great moment to ask the Holy Spirit to say, reveal anything in me. That's not yielded to you, God. I want to serve in your kingdom. And if there's anything that's holding me back, help me to get through that. Just this last weekend at the men's retreat, somebody mentioned the singer Larry Norman. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy. He's kind of a crazy cat. And back in like the 70s, 80s, he was bringing rock and roll music into the Christian industry and he had some pretty edgy songs but they were songs that were filled with great grace and truth about people who can be saved and redeemed by Jesus Christ and one of the songs he's written is put your life in Jesus's nail-scarred hands the example of what it means to be a servant to enter into the kingdom of God, we have to put our life into Jesus' hands. And the reality of it is, there's probably somebody listening right now that you've not encountered that grace in your life where you've given your life to him. And you just put your life in his hands and say, I'm, I'm yours. And as we get ready to close, I want to lead us in a prayer of response here this morning. And worship team, I invite you to come back up to get ready to lead us. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word and your example of leadership and what it looks like to be a servant and to give your life for the benefit of others. And Lord, help us to respond to that. If we're already a follower of Jesus, I pray that this would be a message that, that stirs in us and reminds us of what it looks like to be humble and to be a servant. And if there's areas of our life where there's pride and selfishness and this desire to be served, I pray that you would, you would kill those things. And that the things that would be living in us is the humility and the grace of being a servant in your kingdom. Lord, if there's someone listening right now that has yet to put their life into your hands, to understand the gospel truth that there is a sin issue in our world and that sin separates us from a holy God. But Father, you sent your son Jesus to pay that penalty and that price for sin so that those who put their faith and trust in you can be made right with you. 
And it's not by the things that we do, but it's by faith alone. If there's someone right now that desires to put their faith in Jesus, I invite you to pray with me this response prayer of receiving him today. Pray with me, Lord Jesus, today I want to give my life to you. I ask for forgiveness of my sin that separates me from you. I ask that you would change my heart and make me a new person and that you'd redeem me from a life of sin and put me on the path of victory in Jesus Christ. Today I receive you as my Lord and Savior by grace through faith. Thank you for this precious gift. And Lord, you've paid it all. And for all of us, all to you we owe. In Jesus' name we pray. 